This is the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. In this next interview, I had the opportunity to speak with Jordan Kettner, creative director and founder of Kettner Creative. In early March, Jordan saw over a quarter of a million dollars in revenue wiped away through coronavirus-related cancellations almost overnight. Yet, despite what for many would be the end of the road, Jordan shares how he saw this as a remarkable opportunity to try something new and to invest. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs versus Coronavirus podcast. Uh, so, just uh, for those that haven't heard of uh, haven't heard of you or Kettner Creative, tell us a little bit about what you do and and a little bit about your business. Yeah, totally. So, Kettner Creative is a production or audiovisual company uh, located in Surrey, BC. Most of what we do is downtown Vancouver. So, we do somewhere around a thousand events a year. So an event could be a TV rental for a trade show booth, or an event could be like a week-long event for 20,000 people. So it's a pretty big range of what we do. We've been full-time audiovisual or event production since 2013. We're going on year seven right now. Uh, Before that, we were, funny enough, we were a web design company that moved into video production. Oh, wow. Moved into AV after that, just path of least resistance and following demand. Right on. And tell me a little bit about your customers. Who are, uh, and you mentioned a couple of examples there, trade show on the larger event side of things, like who are your customers? In terms of who our customer is, a customer could be a bride and groom for a wedding. A customer could be a professional event planner, or it could be a Fortune 100 company that has their own internal event management team that just needs help with equipment. So we service B2C, B2B, and B2G. We also work directly with government on things like press conferences. So we, yeah, we have a wide customer base for sure. And just to give us a bit of a scope as to the size of your operation, um, how many staff do you have, office, remote, even I would imagine when you spin up an event, you probably have some some part-time or, or short-term contracts that you bring on. Tell us a little bit about what the staffing looks like at Kettner. So there's four of us full-time. Uh, we have one full-time kind of quoting and logistics management person. We have a warehouse and operations person. And then we have two of us that can kind of independently oversee crew at events. And then we have a call list of independent contractors and on-call employees. That's about 40 to 50 people deep, depending on the season. And a little bit about your revenue model. How do you sell? Do you have uh, any sort of recurring model? Is it uh, one-time sort of event pricing that you would go in and quote on for a particular event? How does that look for your business? Yeah, so it's pretty a la carte. Some people will just email us what their event is and we'll quote it on what it takes, what we think it takes for the event to be successful on a good, better, best sort of platform. Offer them a couple different options uh, to choose from. So it is really based on uh, rental rate of equipment plus labor, and it's all broken out and spec. So really, I don't think in the 10,000 events that we've done that we have ever quoted the same price twice type of thing. It's all pretty custom. Okay. And what portion of that business would you consider repeat business? Uh, we, In terms of revenue, we probably have 40% of uh, revenue is with repeat clients. And that's probably 20% of events that are repeat. We have a lot of new events or first time people that come to us. 
So you, you talked a little bit about your journey to where you are today as far as starting out as a, a marketing company, doing some video production, and then the natural progression took you to where you are today. Where did the idea come from? What sort of launched you into the event space? I guess if you hear, ever hear about somebody falling into an industry, that's literally what happened. I was doing web consulting at a firm in Kelowna and I just decided I wanted to do it myself and uh, go at it that way. So I moved to Vancouver where I figured that there'd be more business. And a part of that was expanding to video production, which I had a little bit of a background in. Uh, I had a client that wanted me to film a keynote speech that they were giving at a conference actually out in Harrison. Uh, So I went out to to film their speech and the audio was feeding back like crazy. So I kind of went and sorted it out for them. I had a little bit of a background from earlier in my life. I grew up doing sound in church and that sort of thing. So I sorted it out for them. And then they just, they literally harassed me. It was about the client (laughs) called me, the organizer of that conference called me about 30 to 35 times asking me to do audio at their next one. I was not interested because I had a small web design company. It's kind of like a two-man band sort of thing. But we were having fun and we enjoyed what we were doing. And this client was relentless. So I just, fine, I'll do your four events for you. So we just kind of rented and we just kept meeting people and people just kept asking us to do it. And we just kind of kept saying yes, because we couldn't believe like, like we didn't think we did anything incredible, but apparently they did. And so we just kept saying yes. And then so that was like 2012 and May 2013 started to phase out our web design and video production stuff. And I think by 2014, I was full-time in the business. It's such a good story. I think there's so many examples of where businesses have found their greatest opportunity just through the simplicity of listening to their customers and and what their customers were asking for them to do and uh, being able to deliver on that. So that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. So let's pivot here. Let's talk a little bit about coronavirus. What were your immediate thoughts when the coronavirus and COVID-19 started to hit the news? Yeah, so almost immediately, uh, I think tail end of December, uh, we knew it was a problem. In January, we had a couple events with foreign organizers and and events that were kind of had a worldwide audience where people were flying in. Uh, We had two events cancel on us, which wasn't too crazy. We kind of saw that coming. We had a lot of discussion about it. And then I believe it was Thursday, Thursday, March 12. I was at a BMW launch and my phone kind of kept going off. I kept calling the office and they're kind of like, it's bad. It's mm-hmm. pretty bad. Uh, there's a lot of people canceling today. I guess that's the day that the word pandemic was dropped uh, mm-hmm. to the best of my memory. And then I got into the shop at 8 or 9 a.m. on Friday the 13th of all things, which is kind of notorious now in the event industry. And uh, yeah, you're looking down the barrel of like 150 emails of events canceling and the phone ringing every five minutes just saying, well, we can't do our event. Venue's closed. The school's closed. The convention center's closed. The auto show's canceled. Bam, 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 bam. And it all, uh, I put a video together on YouTube. My brother recommended that I uh, kind of document the journey. But yeah, in about a 24-hour period, as best as we could tell, we lost about $300,000 of revenue, uh, which was a pretty wow. horrifying gut punch. That is uh, 
you think you prepare yourself and you think you run a diverse, uh, like mature business with a good safety net. But I don't think a lot of people anticipate a 24 hour period taking your business to zero. You anticipate that you will have the ability to react and pivot. Like, it's unprecedented. Like it really was like we we're on our heels, totally caught off guard. And yeah, it was a gut punch if I've ever had one before. So let's talk about that video because I've had the opportunity to watch that video. And in fact, that's what led to us jumping on this call today. Tell me a little bit about the response. You chose to document that experience and that time and kind of put it out there for others to, uh, to follow along on the journey with you on. What was or what has that feedback looked like? What, uh, what kinds of responses have you had from that content that you put on YouTube? Yeah, it was barely one off, but it was substantial. There was probably like 50 or 60 kind of comments or DMs or text messages that came out of it. And it was like, yes, there was like an acknowledgement of how horrifying it was and just how raw and emotional that feeling is. You just kind of sit with it. Even when I, every once in a while, I'll pull it up and just be like, it just takes you back. You feel all those Mm -hmm. feelings again. But yeah, a lot of interesting, like, hi, I have a production company in Australia twice your size and we're all in this together I have a company in Florida and we're about half your size and yeah it's brutal but you know what can you do and I know there's a lot of that people reaching out that I've never heard from before in Vancouver there's kind of been like a text message group amongst a bunch of us that own production companies we're actually shockingly anti-competitive everybody's pretty friendly in the industry Uh, Mm. I think there's just yeah, just all good people in the industry. But yeah, just a lot of when this all goes over, we're gonna go for beers and tell our war stories. But yeah, that's kind of the feeling. There is like a sense of community. And I think there's a lot of people that are kind of hurt right now. We're definitely not even close to being one of the big companies. Because the comment I made in the video, like, there's dudes that lost millions of dollars in 24 hours. That was unprotected. Even the big guys, no amount of diversification would have protected them. Like the whole industry went to zero in 24 hours. Wow. So on that video, you talk about some of the changes that you were seeing that you had to make in your business. Can you, can you share some of those with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm super fortunate. I grew up in a family with a dad that's an entrepreneur and three older brothers that are all entrepreneurial. If they don't own their own company, they're definitely in management roles where they are working. And um, yeah, they have rock solid advice. We have a Slack group between us and we meet for dinner every two weeks. But between uh, the four of them, dad's own businesses for the last 40 years. So he knows knows the drill when the recession hits and he just said, get at it. So uh, we have some equipment leases. And the phone call was pretty honest with them. Just, hi, <laughs> we have zero money. We're all in this together. If I fail, you fail. So I need some help renegotiating this. And it's pretty uh, pretty surprising how fast they uh, react because they realize that we are all on the same team. We have some mm. pretty good partners that way. The only ones that were really not friendly at all were the landlords. It's still a problem, but... Uh, the best they offered us was they could spread our rent over four weekly installments throughout the month. <laughs> I'm not sure that helps the problem when you have zero income. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just that immediate reaction on day one, you really got to walk around with your fire extinguisher, print off a balance sheet of everything we spent in the last 30 days and make sure that we don't spend any of it in the next 90. 
So that was pretty much the process, just going line by line, turning off every auto payment and just viciously protecting the business. Because although we do 100% want to uphold the obligations that we have, we need to make sure that we make it because that's the only way that we're actually going to be able to fulfill the obligations and survive. It's in everybody's best interest for us to survive. So the, the leases that you mentioned on the equipment that you had in your warehouse, can you share a little bit about what kinds of financial plans or structures, like what, what did they offer you and, and how, how is that going to help get you through the next steps here? Yeah, for sure. So it's straightforward equipment leasing. Um, it's hilarious because as of August, we were supposed to own everything in our warehouse. But in the meantime, for the next six months, we were so close. Uh, it looks like about a $10,000 a month payment. So that's spread across five different leases, but we called them and they uh, came down and they said that they can't charge us nothing, but they can charge us $100 per lease per month. So from $10,000 a month of payments to $500, uh, you could imagine the weight that that comes off of when you're looking at a burn rate that looks suicidal. So, So that basically bought us life. I think between that and some of the options that the government's offering us, I think we have about eight to 12 month uh, runway now where we don't need to make money, but yeah, that's, that's great. super helpful. Yeah. And then what about um, your team? And, and I know that was one of the things that really hit me on your video is when you talked about the, the people that rely on your business for their own livelihood. And how did those conversations go for you? I mean, they all heard the phone ring. I think when I came in the office on Monday, the one girl said, well, after a day like this and a day like Friday, I'm just going to go ahead and lay myself off now. <laughs> like, oh, wow. like by then the cat was out of the bag. The articles were out like every production company, every, if you're at all affiliated, like all the layoffs were already in the press. So um, sure everybody kind of saw it coming what we did do is we kind of trimmed everybody down to 20 percent. so we carried them for basically like a day a week uh with okay. the, what the government's offering now we can actually bring everybody back starting monday with the new 75 percent subsidy so we're super thankful super proud to be canadian super happy with what the government's done for us because that allows us to keep butts in seats it allows us to have employees that don't have to apply to go somewhere else because they like where they work. It really prevents that whole like victim mentality kicking in when you sit at home for four weeks in a row. In terms of like attitude and morale and stuff, we're super happy with kind of what the government's done to kind of keep the team together for us. Yeah, that that's great. So that's a perfect segue here. Let's talk about the pivot and the adjustments that, that you've had to make in your business. So how, what are you working on right now? What is keeping you busy as your, as your team starts to come back to work on Monday, it sounds like, what will they be working on? Yeah, totally. Um, so my brother, pretty wise brothers, I'm pretty fortunate that way. Uh, they recommended that I read the book called They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan, something like that. But basically, it's a story of a guy that owned a pool company in the 2008 recession and how he built a content marketing strategy to build trust for when the business came back. The idea is that the pie will be smaller, but when the industry kicks up again, you want a bigger piece of that pie. Not everybody will be as proactive right now. So we're kind of going after that. We built a list of like maybe 200 questions that our clients ask on a regular basis. And we're committed to producing between one and four pieces of content every day for the next three months that help address that. 
just we have that content library, both from a marketing and SEO perspective, but also a customer satisfaction and internal training perspective. So building a lot of those process on top of standard, like we can do equipment maintenance, we can tidy up some of our internal process, but we're mostly focused on creating customer facing content for SEO and marketing right now. So at a time when so many people are ramping down or, and I mean, there's lots of businesses that just cannot open their doors. They cannot do business. You're fortunate enough to be able to, to get right back at it and to be investing. In fact, that's to me is really remarkable about your story. So let's talk about the time rising here. What, what happens or, or what do you perceive to be the greatest challenges if this persists for another six months or, or beyond? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say that what we are hoping for, a best case scenario is everybody is tired of being cooped up and this whole thing resolves by Canada Day and there's a huge push on Canada Day to celebrate being Canadian and being a community and getting through this together and that would hopefully, knock on wood, kick off the love of events again. Mm. So we're really counting on that bounce of people realizing how good events are and how special they are to have face-to-face connection uh, with community. Canada Day would be the perfect timing because it is national holiday. But if that doesn't happen until September, October, November, then we're probably in a situation where we're riding out until the following March when event season typically kicks in again. So that would be quite the slog. So events, it's all about keeping efficiency and trying to position ourselves so when they do start uh, that we're the first on everybody's list, I guess. So you're, you're, when you look at your annual revenue projections, spring and summer tends to be a, is that your big season? And then that kind of gets you through the remaining part of the year? We're kind of rare in the industry. Our year is flat. Most people, you're correct. For the music guys, May to September is money-making season. For the corporate guys, the season is end of August until early February. So luckily, we kind of have our hands in both pots where we're not the biggest in any category. But if it wasn't for coronavirus, typically we're booked 365 days a year to the maximum capacity. And the whole strategy for 2020 was how do we do less events? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess be careful what you ask for. Um, so now we're kind of, we were, we had plans to specialize and, and things like that, but obviously now we're in full take everything you can get mode. So yeah, that's the challenge, I guess, just trying to adapt from what we had planned. Now you, you mentioned your brothers a a number of times. Who's that support group around you? Is it just your brothers? Do you have other people in your life? You you also mentioned the, uh, number of people in your industry that you've had, uh, communication with, how are you staying motivated right now and inspired and, and who's on your team, you know, aside from some of those resources you've already mentioned. Yeah, totally. So the brother group and with my dad is 100%. Like I consider them the board of directors of Kettner creative. Um, they understand everything about every part of the business and they offer great feedback. The family that I grew up in is super, um, book driven and like uh, personal growth driven and they like that that's just born and bred like we all at least read 100 books a year at least and it's all based on the recommendations that each other give each other so 
that itself is okay. a fountain of knowledge that we tap into. But from a community perspective, obviously, uh, talking with the competition isn't quite as friendly from a like intimate business <laughs> detail standpoint. But uh, the support is there. Like the like we all actually care about each other. We all work on jobs together and events together. Like we all have our specialty within the event production wheelhouse. So when you see the same 20 people at probably 150 events a year, you get to know each other quite well. And you actually do care about each other and each other's families and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you don't wish harm on any of them. But in terms of what wakes me up in the morning, I would say it's the drive, especially from my brothers. That's like, okay, what are you doing to solve this problem today? And here's what I think you should do today. You need to read this book now because I think this part will be helpful. Literally born into um, privilege by being pushed that way. Uh, mm. You really can't beat that. Um, yeah, anybody I talk to, nobody has that. And that's the push. I think that does make me want to pop out of bed still at 7 a.m. and keep my daily routine and keep pushing. Without the brother group, I would probably be where a lot of other people are right now, still back in the pity party that I was in like 14 days ago. Mm -hmm. So let's jump back to that first video. So first video, and then you publish another video. What was that period of time between that pity party, as you called it, that you had on the first one? And then when you were right back at it, feeling inspired and motivated, and what was that switch that flicked in your mind that got you there? I think I even acknowledged it in the first video where we're not going to miss this moment. The moment was profound. It was a feeling like no other. I actually couldn't even film that video. I had to take it twice because we kept getting interrupted by phone calls and people still trying to cancel their events. Um, mm. That moment is like, you don't want to dismiss it. It deserves the attention it got just because of how heavy it was. But at, by the time I was done filming, talking about how <laughs> poorly it made me feel, I knew I, I was going to sit with it for that evening. But when the sun rose the next day, it was time to start walking and start marching out of it. There's no, like, I don't know. I've been getting fairly into the, like, the Ryan Holiday stoicism stuff. And it's just like, the one thing I can control is my attitude and my actions from here. I can't mm -hmm. control the industry. I can't control the virus. I can't control the government canceling events. Like objectively, all those, like the train is sent. And it was strange because as an entrepreneur, you don't like being a passenger. And I don't like blaming people for my mistakes. I like being responsible for things I do and decisions I make. But I felt like I couldn't control any of that. But I could control my attitude and keep searching for more knowledge to solve the problem. That's great. So what, what would you say to those who are listening, who are struggling in their own businesses and, and maybe they haven't found that opportunity to pivot or they just don't know what shifting looks like or what kind of innovation they can introduce in their own businesses? What kinds of suggestions would you make to them? Funny, I, I kind of made a, we put together a YouTube video on our Kettner Creative page for like what to do if you're like an out of work tech right now. And I think the same thing applies to any business owner right now. One, you need to set up your daily routine. That's super important. You can't stay in bed till 10 a.m. That's not going to help anybody. So pop out of bed, do your usual routine. Two, uh, spend 15 minutes a day and make contact with three people. Tell them, hi, I miss working with you. And how are you doing? Three, uh, use the opportunity for training. If you don't have something to do in your business, 
thrown into training. I mean, the amount of time that you have right now is unprecedented as self-employed people. We always talk about what we would do if we had time to dig or sink our teeth into something. So here's that opportunity for try something new, you know, make slime with your kids. You might awaken a new passion that you never knew existed. Five, you've never had this opportunity in your life for work-life balance as a self-employed person. It's never happened. Mm. I'm, like I've dialed it back from 80, 90 hour weeks to 40. And it's like, reintroduce myself to my family. I say that as a joke, but not really. And it's great. So take it because you have it. And uh, oh, a sixth point was journal. Document the process. Write down three things every day that you're happy for, that you're thankful for. And write down like bullet form every single thing you did that day. Because sometimes in this phase right now, it's easy to feel like you haven't done anything when you go to bed. And you'd be shocked at how long that list is if you keep that journal with you every day. And it does make you feel like you're moving forward. And then write down two things that you want to conquer the next day. So when your alarm goes off at seven, you have something to do right away. That was kind of the advice that I gave to freelance techs that are looking for work right now. But I think it applies all the same as a business owner. I love that. I think in particular, the idea of writing things down and journaling, I mean, you, you chose to talk into a camera. You mentioned in our conversation today how you've already gone back and watched that and how that's been such a great reminder of where you were and acts as a starting point for this new journey that you find yourself on in, in this challenging time. I, I think that in particular, I mean, in our own business, we encourage our staff to do these time audits. And it's, it's this idea that you take a journal and you divide your page up and every 15 minutes you write down what you're doing. And it's this idea that so many times the day goes by and we look back and we have no idea what we've really accomplished and whether we made any significant progress. When you look back at the time audit, uh, it's so often reaffirming that, yes, I did accomplish a lot today. I made, I did make progress. And other times it just gives perspective on the fact that maybe you spent time working on something today that didn't matter and, and not enough time on the things that did matter. And so writing is such a powerful way to help us to reflect and to keep track. I, I also really love the six steps you shared. I completely agree that, that those six steps are absolutely imperative for anyone who's, uh, uh, finding themselves in, in a situation similar to yours or just even in, in, in business in general as they're trying to innovate and uh, make the most of, of this time that we find ourselves in. Jordan, thanks for taking time out of your day to come on the show and to share your story with us. For those that want to reach out to you and connect, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, if you just Google Kettner Creative, uh, my email is jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, at kettnercreative.com, K-E-T-T-N-E-R creative. Yeah, that's it. If anybody's out there that's in the same boat, definitely happy to hear from people. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your story and a little bit about the investments that you're making right now. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurs versus Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. For complete show notes and additional information, visit clearbridge.ca slash podcast. Ryan is the founder of Clearbridge Business Solutions. To find out how investing in technology can help your business, especially during uncertain economic times, visit lifewithclearbridge.ca. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ryan Kononoff. That's R-Y-A-N-K-O-N-O-N-O-F-F. Thanks for listening.